listeners, welcome to How It's Reported uh, with me, Jamie. If you listened to this last summer, you would know that I was the interim desk editor, but now I am back and hopefully better than ever uh, as your uh, permanent desk editor for the year. Uh, We're going to bring back How It's Reported for this summer, starting with the latest um, cover story, which is about um, the overturning of the Roe v. Wade case. With me today, I have... Evan Reynolds, and Simon Scannell. Uh, hi, how are, how's it going? Good. It's going pretty well. You know, that typical, typical, mon- t- is it Tuesday night? I thought it was Monday it's night. Tuesday night shenanigans. But, uh, you know, other than that, doing well. Sick. All right, we're going to jump into things uh, just so that everybody has an idea of who you are. Um, could you please introduce yourself? This could be your name. Your pronouns, if you're comfortable sharing that, your year in school, major, what you do at the Emerald, anything you feel like is important for our audience to know. Hi, I'm Evan Reynolds. I will be a junior in the fall, a political science major and a media studies minor here at UO. Uh, I started working on the Emerald back in January of this year on the arts and culture desk. Uh, This summer, though, I am taking over for Alexis Wisend. as the interim news desk editor uh, just through the end of August. I will also be the associate arts and culture editor in the fall. Uh, And in addition, I am the coordinator of community engagement uh, for the coming year. So working on a lot of stuff related to, um, well, you know, community engagement. Uh, That includes spearheading the Emerald Trust Project, uh, working on the Emerald Ethics Board, uh, and thinking critically about a lot of the uh, more complicated elements of journalism that we don't talk enough about. Um, my name is Simon Scanella. I use he, him pronouns. I'm going to be a sophomore in the fall, uh, currently a journalism major with uh, minors in Spanish and science communication. Um, and I just started working at the, the Daily Emeralds like a month ago uh, as a news reporter. So... My first story was the collab with Evan on the Roe v. Wade article. Woohoo! Congrats. That's super exciting for your first story to to be a cover story, even like as a as a collaboration. That's that's super exciting. So congrats on that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, why don't we just jump straight into the story? Um, could you like give a quick rundown about what it was about? Um, any like important details? I mean Emerald listeners, if you haven't already, I strongly recommend you read the article. But just to give everybody a refresher, could you give like a little rundown on what it's about? Yeah, I can. I'll I'll start first by just saying, um, yeah, the the cover was written very much last minute, which is not traditional for a cover story at all. Uh, as a response to the Dobbs v. Jackson ruling uh, that the Supreme Court laid down, uh, we had the uh, cover deadline that. Uh, the Tuesday after the decision was released, which gave us, and I re- really we only had about, I think, two or three days to actually write the full story. But yeah, it's um, a lot of discussing, you know, UO students' reaction to the ruling, uh, specifically uh, students in, you know, who are fearful of what might happen, uh, the impacts on abortion access, reproductive health care, and really just more broadly what it says about human rights in this country. Um, and we got sources from Students for Choice. Uh, we interviewed a person who was arrested in Eugene uh, the night of the ruling. There were about 10 people arrested outside of Dove Medical Center 
um, by the Eugene Police Department. And so we talked to someone there. Overall, the, the, the piece was just really kind of a way to take stock of the UO campus reaction and uh, what we can expect on this issue moving forward. Uh, and just kind of giving a bit of a lowdown in terms of what it means for abortion access, specifically for folks in Oregon, folks in Eugene. Uh, and yeah, hats off to, to to Simon, who really sort of was very eager to jump in uh, on a cover story, which I don't really recall very many people having that as their first uh, their first story they were working on. So um, yeah, yeah, very much, very much appreciate it. But yeah, I, I would also like to say thank you so much to Evan, because Evan did so much. And it was very, like, it was not like a solo thing. It was like, really jumping in it was like oh i can help you so evan did like i think all of the interviews and kind of like really got it put together so it was nice to like see how it was done at the daily emerald and then like a few pieces in there yeah no after after reading that the cover the, the cover story um it really gave me a good sense of like what was happening down in Eugene and really just like how students were reacting to everything like I was in Taiwan when it when it all went down so it was a very different experience um being away from America and like hearing about everything that was going down and like he was and reading about everything so the cover story was definitely um super informative and um, really just gave me a lot more information and context. And I guess, like, leading from that, how did you go about writing this story? So what was your process? I know you said you had a really quick turnaround time, um, only having a few days to work on it. So, like, how how exactly did you, did you go about writing? Traditionally, I mean, I've written, this was the third cover story I was involved in. Um, and the other two, I had at least, you know, a week and a half, two weeks notice, uh, to, to actually write the whole thing. Typically you're given more time on it than a standard, a standard article, like a weekly, uh, 500 to seven word, 700 word piece. And this one, uh, was done both in reaction to the fact that, oh, we need to seriously cover this issue, which is all anybody's going to be talking about. How can we get this ready in time to go to print? And then also we had another cover story that fell through related to um, uh, police, UO policing, uh, the 21 CP report on on campus policing practices didn't get filed in time, the, the, the report didn't, and thus we couldn't write the article. And anyway, so um, my editor-in-chief, Hannah Rose, uh, messaged me um, on, I believe it was on Saturday, uh, and just basically asked, you know, any chance we could fast track a uh, Roe v. Wade cover, a coverage of the overturning, uh, written by you, written by Simon, uh, because obviously no one wanted to spring this like last minute cover on Simon by by himself. So, um, you know, it was it was very much flying by the seat of our pants type of thing. But luckily, uh, we were in a position where there were a lot of people who really, really felt strongly about this issue and wanted to talk about it. So. Uh, getting four interviews in essentially a day um, was not something I've ever, <laughs> it, it was nice. It, most of the time I have to badger people to respond to interview requests, and I really did not. Um, we got the two co-directors of Students for Choice, like I said, uh, got someone who uh, was involved in the Dove Medical Center protest, and then I spoke to a um, a board member of the Northwest Abortion Access Fund who had just a lot of really great insights about resources that can be offered to Oregon Eugene students 
and talking a little bit about some misconceptions about abortion access now that Roe's been overturned, and just a lot of really great and diverse perspectives that we were able to bring in uh, in such a short period of time. So I was, I was honestly that that was what I was most pleased about. Pleased about writing it. Uh, from there, I, I kind of have developed a system for writing at this point um, where you you do the interviews, you transcribe the interviews, and you kind of let them guide the piece. I think that's kind of essential to what journalism is. It's not you editorializing, really. It's you uh, allowing the people you talk to to, you know, guide the direction of, of the piece. Um, so, you know, organizing the quotes, breaking them into, you know, different sections by what they addressed. So uh, what does UO say about this issue? What can UO be doing better uh, we had a few people tell us about um, how UO needs to provide more clear access to reproductive health services on its website and at the University Health Center. Uh, and then from there, what does the future of abortion rights look like? Uh, what are some of the intersectional impacts of that issue? Um, yeah, and it was, I got to be honest, it was really nice to know that uh, <laughs> that Simon was helping me on this piece because even for me as someone who, you know, has, has been on this paper for, for a little while at this point, it was still kind of a daunting task. So knowing that I had sort of the the support to be able to say, hey, could you add these links? Could you go find these resources? Could you, you know, add this information here uh, was was very <laughs> crucial to to morale for me in terms of getting that done in time. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I I ended up being pretty proud of it. I think it's it's, you know, the important issue of 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 our time or one of them, you know, so. Yeah, I like Evan had did all the interviews. Right. And so had all the quotes and was trying to put it together. And then I kid you not, I saw Evan write like 800 words in like half an hour on our shared Google document. It was impressive. It's that grind. Yeah. Simon, how was because this is your first story that you worked on for the Emerald. So um, what was this experience like for you? Um, like, what did you what did you do in collaboration with Evan for this story? Uh, I mean, like Evan said, I was kind of working on the like, oh, can you go get this source and those kinds of things, which I loved doing because it I was Googling like abortion right or like abortion access in Eugene, that kind of thing, which I feel like is good information to have anyway. And then I also worked on, I think there's a few quotes in there that I got. One of them is from Governor Kate Brown that was put out in like, uh, like an ish, like something that she said, um, and like the board of like the governors on the West Coast all came together to say, no, these, we're protecting abortion access in our states. You can come to our states and receive abortion care. So I got those. And it was a little bit like being thrown into the deep end at first, but then I was like, wait, this is a collaboration. And Evan was a fantastic partner for this. Um, and I think having someone else do the interviews was really helpful because I had to work it around my work schedule, which is like, most people don't want to have interviews from like three to 5 PM or after most days. So thank you, Evan, for doing that. Uh, and it also gave me like a really good idea of like, oh, here's how like the pros do it. So <laughs> Evan's a pro. Oh no, please. <laughs> I, I appreciate it, but really, no, I'm I'm just 
just trying to get by same as everyone else. But I will I will add on Simon's behalf, uh, you know, when when he says throwing into the deep end, like literally he was hired for the summer the week before we wrote this. So like it like not even first piece, not even oh, you know, he'd been uh, you know, getting learning the ropes for a few weeks. No, it was like almost instantly uh, uh, being assigned onto this. Um, so you know, yeah, a shout out for just being flexible and and being eager to to to, to dive in on this. We left off on talking about how uh, y'all went about writing like this cover story. And I actually wanted to talk, to, I wanted to ask you, Evan, more about um, finding sources and doing these interviews, because you mentioned that you uh, did four of these interviews in one day. So what was that like, like trying to find these sources, trying to like get these interview questions together and to like organize and schedule everything all in one day? I definitely couldn't have done it or even come close to attempting it if I hadn't done a couple cover stories already um, and had some issues that I had to resolve uh, on that end. Typically, a cover story is five sources at minimum. That was never something that, that was always a goal, but that was never something that I expected, just given the time crunch of the piece, right? Uh, getting four, I was honestly pretty proud of that. <laughs> um, I had actually done a good amount of Roe v. Wade coverage before. I did a short write-up um, the day after the decision came out for the desk, just because everyone else was working on other projects. And I, um, previously I'd covered it in a, in May when the, uh, a draft of the Dobbs ruling, uh, was published by Politico, uh, just talking to some of the folks on students for choice, talking to some students and assessing the implications. So that gave me a framework to work off of. It also made me wary because I didn't want to repeat the same information, the same sources, the same uh, content. I wanted to continue bringing new ideas into the table. But I am glad I had that uh, as a base so that I knew who to contact. So I reached out to Kat Abrams, who is the since-graduated co-director of UO Students for Choice. Uh, she was in Spain, but she put me in contact with her two other co-directors. Uh, I asked them if we could do a joint interview because there was just, I was thinking about all the different interviews I would want to do. And um, a joint interview seemed like it would save time. And also, if they're both co-directors, it would not be like, I'm shoehorning in two people together who don't have, uh, who, who have very different perspectives and be weird. Uh, I, I thought it gelled pretty nicely. Um, so that was in the morning. Uh, later that morning, I had an interview with Michaela Byers, who is the, the board member on the, the Northwest Abortion Access Fund. Uh, that was a contact that had actually gone out to Hannah Rose, uh, who was asking, you know, in the future, when you do row coverage, I'd love to be interviewed to talk about us as a resource, what we can offer to Eugene. Uh, it appeared like that was something that she'd sent out to a lot of, to some other local publications, perhaps. I, I wasn't fully sure. But I followed up on that, and she was very willing to talk to me. Um, and they were just super helpful, uh, giving me a, a, a detailed policy perspective. So I had, you know, a student perspective, I had a policy perspective. And then um, one of the editors on the Daily Emerald attended the Dove Medical Center protest and uh, just had a ton of information about what 
went down there, uh, had a lot of contacts. So uh, I asked Simon, you know, hey, Simon, can you reach out to uh, this person and get some of the contacts, get some of the info, and we could start reaching out to some of these people. Uh, There were so many contacts that even though we had such short notice, we did get a person to reach back out to, to us. But yeah, that's what I'm talking about is just anytime I thought of something to do that I didn't I, I didn't have the capacity for. I I thought, you know, hey, I'll, I I will give it to Simon. <laughs> and Simon was was more than eager. Um, yeah, but that last interview I did was later that night. It was about eleven p.m. I just texted the source, and he was on his break. Uh, he was at work. He was working at the the. You know, um, he just said, "Can you talk now?" I said, "Sure," and it was it was really fascinating. So yeah, uh, four interviews in a day. You know, not the. I wouldn't really want to do it again, but if I'd have to, you know, it. I think it could have gone a lot worse, uh, and I certainly didn't feel like it was overwhelming uh, to, to, to any great degree, really. Wow, that's that's super impressive, because um, just, like, pulling it all together, just, like, really props to you. I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here. So the Emerald often will cover student reactions to national news, especially when it affects a lot of the students. And obviously this ruling affects a lot of people, um, I would argue that it affects everybody. So as students who are likely affected by these events yourself, what are some challenges you face while reporting, um, either about like your personal feelings about what's happening or like just having to deal with learning about these events yourself to attending protests? So like what are what are some challenges that you face? And uh, whenever you're ready, I'll go ahead and um, pass this question to, to Simon first. I would say it's, it's the same thing that I practice with all of my articles. Like Evan said, like I have my sources guide how I do the piece. Uh, and I try to show like a pretty unbiased view of like the thing that's happening. But in reality, like on one end, you have people's lives that are going to be totally upended by this decision. And on the other hand, you have people who hate that abortion exists. And so one of those is a more valuable experience than just, oh, no, I hate that this happens. It also, like, it's about experience and which impacts more people and how deep that impact runs. Usually just try to kind of take myself out of the situation. I'm like, okay, here's what I have to do. Who can speak about this in a good way? It doesn't necessarily have to be a way that I agree with, per se, but it does have to be a way that is informed about the decisions and, like, can provide good information. I'll add to that. I I totally agree with that in that it's just super difficult to remain objective about, like, a very politically charged issue like this. Uh, You know, for me personally, I mean, I I am very politically active and... and, uh, just incredibly opposed to the, the the Dobbs decision, obviously. And obviously there there is a need to not have that fully bleed into your work when you're covering something like this. That being said, I've never been the firmest believer in this like very corporate, very like both sidesist mentality of like being objective in the sense that um, when you think about objectivity, you have to think about if you were quote unquote objective and you don't take a side and you don't acknowledge the like implications of this decision. So namely, um, 
you know, many people are having basic human rights taken away from them. Uh, the legal precedent this sets will also impact future human rights. Uh, it will potentially open up the door to challenge uh, same-sex marriage, anti-sodomy laws, even inter- inter- interracial marriage, you know, um, really taking us back decades or centuries. That is when I sort of, I think we lose the thread on on objectivity. And I think it's perfectly fine to say, yeah, this really sucks for a lot of people. Uh, much more so than it does for other people. <laughs> um, so to that degree, I try not to editorialize. I try not to let my you know bias seep through. However, I do also believe that we can't treat it like both sides are equally valid here, especially because one side is being so much more severely impacted. Additionally, you know we're we're at U, U of O and. Given that we are a student newspaper, I think that the need to include people with varying perspectives on this uh, is a bit different here just because we are a university that is overwhelmingly uh, liberal. We are a university that is overwhelmingly, you know, younger people. We are a university uh, that, that that has a much more unified perspective on this issue than the nation as a whole does. And so I think, you know, whether or not I feel the need to seek out pro-life students on campus and amplify their voices at this particular moment. Candidly, I, I, I never really felt that while writing the article. Um, if that makes me a bad journalist or if that makes me, uh, you know, unprofessional, I think there are people who would who would see it that way. But I also do think that that is a big issue with journalism that no one talks about. Not that no one talks about it, that it is not talked about enough. Yeah, very well put. I, I agree with what you say. It's I don't know. The the world is full of like shitty things that happen and these shitty things will affect a lot of people. And sometimes it will affect like you as a journalist and it's hard, you know, and I really do commend the two of you for like, like pulling together this story and like going out and still finding the, the like finding people and like finding still finding like diverse like voices and perspectives to cover this issue because it's it's important. It's really, really important work. I guess we we kind of talked about this, but to you, like, what's the most important part about writing these types of stories? Um, just like following these like huge national events or like huge court decisions. For me, it's about reflecting how people are feeling. I think that's always my biggest thing is like, how are other people reacting to this? How is how are most people reacting to this, basically? And is it a really strong, contentious issue where we are? Or is it something, like Evan was saying, where, like, most of us at the U of O have very similar political beliefs, and so we don't really feel the need to highlight something that only 5% of U of O believes in? That is important for me. Yeah, I will say, and I'll clarify the comment I made earlier, uh, because there are instances where it is important to amplify, you know, uh, voices that are are uncommonly heard uh, at U of O. The difference between amplifying someone who's pro-life and someone who is, say, a non-traditional student, uh, racially diverse, gender diverse, is that uh, in this particular situation, I think the harms of amplifying someone who is pro-life would be uh, enormous uh, for a lot of folks who are terrified and pick up the paper and read about, you know, Joe Schmo in the Daily Emerald says that this is like a major victory. Um, you know, so just just to clarify that a bit, there, there are instances where uh, we have to be more representative 
than the university as a whole is. This one is not one of those to me. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think when it comes to talking about this issue or really any major political issue, any issue facing the university, uh, if you are not, if your first priority is not to seek, you know, the opinions of the community, then you're you're doing it wrong. Um, you know, journalism has to be representative and democratic uh, if it's going to succeed and if it's going to be, um, you know, fulfill its intended purpose. It has to uh, be representative of the community, the community's beliefs, um, and it has to be, you know, fundamentally, it has to serve the interests, the questions, the uh, desires for the community to be heard. And it, it really is all about mutual participation. So, you know, that can be challenging on an issue where people aren't as comfortable talking about it. Um, I was on the mental health beat on the arts and culture desk for, for, uh, you know, six months or so. And a lot of people don't want to talk about their mental health. You know, how do you go about that? That's another separate question. But for something like this, where people really, really, uh, want to make their voices heard, it's absolutely our responsibility to, to, to do just that. So So we're going to take a bit of a turn again and Something I really wanted to focus on, because this is the first time that I've personally done an episode um, where there have been two reporters writing the cover story. And so I guess this story itself, in of itself was more collaborative on the writing end. And you've talked about this a little bit, but what was that experience like collaborating with another reporter? And how does that differ from writing a story on your own? Yeah, I... You know, this was actually the only piece that I have written on the Emerald thus far with with someone else. So this was a very stressful piece to finish and get done. And really, I don't think it wouldn't I don't think it would have been half as successful if I hadn't had that background uh, idea like, okay, you know, Simon's here if I need to like, you know, take a nap or if I need to miss an interview or something like we can we can figure it out. Because it definitely is a lot of pressure to 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 write a story like this, you know, in the sense that you want to get it right, you want to be as representative as possible, you want to be as as authentic to the uh, experiences, the concerns of the people you've interviewed as possible, and just knowing that you have another person to shoulder it, even if it is for really in any capacity, uh, is is just very very reassuring in a way. I definitely would not have had the <laughs> confidence boost or morale necessary to, 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 to finish it if it were just me solo on it. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I think it is not necessarily a bad thing to have multiple people working on a cover provided that those people can delegate and don't just feel that, you know, I can imagine two very stubborn, strong-willed folks on a cover piece together who have different opinions of where that cover is going to go. That can be probably a real pain in the ass. So I don't envy that. Um, but in this particular case, you know, it was really not how it ended up. And I'm very glad for that. So so I, I worked for um, the high school newspaper. Uh, and I actually have co-written a story before that was three years ago. Um, so I have a little more experience with this than Evan, I guess. Um, but I would say it's like you have someone in your corner. Like you always have your editor. I mean, 
Evan's my editor right now, but <laughs> like you always have your editor and you can reach out to them. But it's nice to have that person working in conjunction with you. So like if you do need to like miss an interview, like Evan was saying, like you totally can and someone can pick it up for you. Uh, and it alleviates the pressure a little bit. Like you don't have to do 100% of the work. You just need to do like 60%. And if you each do 60%, then the article is 120% done and it's great. I really like the process of co-writing stuff because it doesn't feel like so much pressure. And like if, if something's wrong or if I have like the wrong detail or like anything like that, there's a different person with a different opinion who can be like, oh, I heard this, blah, blah, blah. And it's not at the editing stage. So you catch it before it gets kind of serious. Got one more question, I guess, to, to help wrap things up. And it's, is there anything else left that you want listeners to know? Um, it could be something about the story, something about the reporting process. It could just be something that you want people to know about like journalism and being a journalist or specifically being a student journalist. I have two things. Uh, one is specific to uh, the issue just of the article itself and abortion access and resources that are available and what people can do. Um, you know, we are very uh, privileged in Oregon to have uh, a very strong framework of uh, uh, pro-abortion laws uh, and, you know, strong support for reproductive health care at, at, at a lot of different levels. Uh, but that access is not equal. Uh, there are many places in eastern Oregon that are disproportionately uh, overwhelmed just because there are so few Planned Parenthood clinics out in, in uh, you know, Hepner or Pendleton, uh, for instance, uh, who are going to be even more overwhelmed uh, due to this ban because you're going to have people from Idaho who are going to be coming over the border who are going to be seeking uh, additional reproductive health services. It's estimated that in Oregon, 200 and there will be a 234% increase in uh, demand for reproductive health services, not just abortion, but a lot of different reproductive health services. And um, given that, you know, where can you uh, look to, to support? Uh, how can you be of service? There's a lot of different ways you can volunteer. You can donate to uh, Planned Parenthood Action Funds, uh, your local Planned Parenthood Action Fund, you can donate to the Northwest Abortion Access Fund, uh, which we covered in the article. That does really some amazing work over there. They pay not just for the actual abortion itself, but they cover a lot of, of you know, a diverse set of expenses depending on the individual's need. Um, for instance, travel costs, uh, child care, um, you know, uh, Sometimes you'll have someone who, who needs to take a certain medication and that's why they're not going to be able to travel somewhere. You know, they can cover that expense uh, really, really at all levels, an amazing organization. So um, we have a resource page attached to, attached to the article we wrote, uh, but you can also uh, find resources, you know, just by going, just by Googling, just by Googling. Uh, there really is no act too small to get involved uh, when it comes to fighting and vote. Voting is so important. Uh, there are many issues on which voting maybe only moves the needle a small amount, and this is not one of them. Almost any Democrat that you vote for is going to be more supportive of abortion services than any Republican. Uh, so, um, you know, 
on a national level, on a state level, on a local level. Uh, be mindful of who you vote for. Uh, make sure you know uh, exactly where people stand on issues like this because really the fight is going to be local. It's going to be statewide um, before it becomes national. Secondly, um, in regards to journalism, I would say, you know, I'm the I'm the coordinator of community engagement, right? And uh, the reason I was hired for that role is because I'm very passionate about it. There's a lot that I don't know. Um, you know, I, I am a white guy and that's something that I have to, you know, really take stock of and, and assess when I'm doing journalism. Um, but I think what's crucial, regardless of who you are, your background, your experience is, um, you can do journalism. You can do journalism. If you're not a journalism major, you can do journalism. Uh, even if, you know, you, English is not your first language. You can do journalism. If you have never literally written, uh, a single journalistic story before, even if you academic writing isn't your strength, you know, uh, I really, really want to emphasize this. Like there, we're never going to be representative of the community, uh, that we are trying to serve. If the journalists themselves are not representative, if it's only just like predominantly white SOJC students who are filling these roles at the Emerald, filling these roles at Eugene weekly, filling these roles at, at wherever, uh, then we're not going to be doing good journalism. And so I would just encourage you, if this is something that speaks to you even at all, uh, do not hesitate to 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 get involved. Um, and to current journalists, I would just say um, it's important to be open-minded. You know, I, I totally, you know, I can be super pedantic about the, the edits that I make. I can be very, like, nitpicky. Um, but at the same time, I think we adhere to a lot of practices, um, AP-style uh, in certain cases, I think, um, you know, objectivity that I talked about earlier that are outdated. And I think we want to not necessarily cast those aside, but definitely call them into question. We should be willing to critique all of the practices that we do. Um, you know, because if we are only doing something for the sake of this is the way we've always done it, then, you know, why? Um, so I would say get involved when it comes to issues like this that you care about. Uh, get involved in journalism if you're interested in in doing this kind of work because it really should be and I hope will be accessible to anybody who wants to be involved. Um, and for journalists, um, try and have an open mind about some of those long-held uh, traditions or or styles that you write your articles in. Um, that's, that's my takeaways. That was very long-winded. I appreciate you letting me just go just on a total tangent a lot of this time. So yeah, thank you so much for, for having me and, and for your time. Yeah, of course. And Simon. Um, I would say I had a point that Evan brought up and I was like, oh yeah, I want to touch on that. And I forgot what that was. But another thing that I want to say is that if you feel like the journalism near you is not representative of you, reach out to your journalists because they are always happy to have people who want to be interviewed. Like Evan was saying earlier, like we often have to hound people to get interviews. And so if you feel like, oh, I'd really like for something to be written about this or this happened, like why is nobody saying anything about it? Like bringing it up or Evan was saying like, you can write about it. Journalism is about representing the community. So, like, get involved if you want. Like, we are always happy to have more journalists. 
Sorry, I have one. I have one more thing. I'm very sorry. This is the last thing. I promise. If you are thinking of applying to the Emerald this summer, please apply to the news desk. We are low on reporters. We hired Simon, and that was great. And Simon has been great. But currently, I am working with two reporters on my team for the summer. Uh, we can use all the help we can get. So if you're listening to this uh, and you're not on the Emerald already, uh, and you would like to be, I would, you know, maybe give the news desk a try. It's super fun. Uh, I'm a pretty nice guy. I I hope most of the time, uh, you know, and um, it's just a really great way to build experience, uh, build that resume if, if, if that's your main priority, but most importantly, building the connections and the skills necessary to potentially uh, do a lot of different things in the future. So yeah, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. Alrighty. Well, thank you again so much for joining. Um, I'm listeners. You've been listening to How It's Reported. Um, thanks again. Thanks again.